Radical Strategies. Welcome. The purpose of this thing is to look at uh, the future, maybe take a little bit of an audit of see what we can understand about what's happening culturally, systemically, environmentally, anything else we care to look at of the present, maybe see if we have insights to see possibly where things might go, could go, should go, something like this. One way that I've heard you describe yourself in some of um, our collaborations and, uh, and projects that we've done together is as a futurist. So why don't you just talk us through that part of what you, of yeah, you, um, what you do? I think that because I'm a strategist and because my interest is in game theory and um, like socioeconomic behavior and how that intersects with, ooh, we should play buzzword bingo. Um, how like socioeconomic behavior and um, innovation kind of come together, where they mm -hmm. meet, those points happen frequently. Sometimes it's daily, sometimes it's you know uh, seasonal, seasonally, and sometimes it's when a, a new piece of technology uh, you know reaches its uh, its tipping point. Uh, you know, for a large number of translational individuals who will bring it to the masses. So. Um, uh, you know, game theory is about trying to determine outcomes, right? Uh, strategist is also about determining outcomes. Those two aren't one and the same. Mm -hmm. uh, my interest in, in how people behave when we continue to augment our lives with technology um, and how innovation rolls into that made me a futurist. I would never self-describe uh, too frequently or start with that I'm a futurist. It's mm -hmm. just the natural... Uh, not natural. It is the logical conclusion when these are the things that I like to study. I like to study where things are going technology-wise and systems-wise. When I say technology, I, I don't mean ones and zeros and hardware or you know code and software. I mean um, a device, like uh, it could be a simple machine, like a pulley or a plow, uh, a fulcrum. Uh, simple machines, all the way mm. to you know a smartphone or AI, those are technology. Um, and so when I say technology, I don't mean just the future either. I mean all the way back in time. Mm. If we were to, um, you know, uh, I mean, there, there's so many interesting uh, things that you have to kind of dig up to see where we're going. We have to see how, when something was introduced prior, humanity had changed. Mm -hmm. And so I'm a futurist in that I look at how we're going to continue to change. And I'm pretty good at what I do because my personal heuristics um, were shaped in an environment where I was obsessed with the transfer of information and I was obsessed with the outcomes and risk mitigation. So uh, what I ended up naturally becoming was a futurist because everything that, was, that I was studying was helping me to predict outcomes. And half of the technology I was researching was in the future. Half was in the past, but half was in the future. And so I could see, oh my, you know, um, look what smartphones will do, um, or not just to people, but to how businesses are run. And, um, you know, that led me down a rabbit hole uh, that I have yet to find the bottom of. And so I think when that people end up inside that endless um, pursuit of where they think things may be going, that's futurism. And that makes that person someone who studies futurism and therefore I by default become a futurist and I'm not upset about it. And I don't think it's a bad <laughs> term. Uh, yeah. I just think that if people lead with futurist, 
Um, They might be missing an opportunity to help educate people as to what exactly it is that they do want to study and learn Mm. more about and teach people about. So I don't, I wouldn't want to lead with futurists for myself because no one ever paid me to be a futurist. They pay me for helping them to predict it out. Mm. You know, I I sometimes describe one of my interests as cultural lineage or cultural anthropology. to see how elements or subsets of culture end up where they are. But then if you go backwards, you can see how one thing um, led to another, which led to another. For example, uh, one thing I, I like studying is musical styles or musical genres. And then seeing how those branch and combine. And you could look at bands, for example, and, and see how one band was influenced by six major influences and then see what that lineage was and just keep stepping back in time um, or forward. And uh, those, those timelines um, are very interesting. In some ways, that for whatever reason, that's how my brain works. I, I see t- timelines. And um, so you can point that forwards to the present moment and see where these premises are going. On a, on a cultural level or technologies, as you would put it, um, or artistic elements or whatever you want to look at. Um, but I suppose that that in of itself is a way to, you could fit futurism as such into that. Absolutely. D- different, different, different way to label, I suppose, right? Yeah. Um, I was actually having a fun conversation with a, a friend uh, the other day, yesterday. Um, about uh, Refused and the shape of punk to come. It was like an album in the late 90s. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think every year since that album had come out, um, whenever I had played a song anywhere, college dorm room or in the car, um, anyone that had not heard uh, those songs before sort of like woke up <laughs> and it was, it was um, like a new sound for them. And it doesn't mm-hmm. happen that often. Um, but the interesting thing about that particular album was it was, it was pretty spot on. I mean, um, uh, you know, we're 20 years or so from when that album had come out. And that's kind of the sound that, you know, still sort of persists through um, a lot of popular music. So I want to ask you if we go back to a, maybe a slightly earlier version of Ed, um, and we imagine that Ed looking at, 2021 um did you did you see this world that we're in were you, um, were you surprised by by 2020 or did you all see this coming um not impossible to have predicted uh, could i have pinned it on the year no mm. uh, the reason is my father was a virologist for uh, his entire career and my mother worked in risk management those are two very particular jobs that help to raise a pretty neurotic type of, of <laughs> kid. Um, <laughs> I was, um, when, like when we had show and tell, my dad came in and told everyone about HIV and AIDS. Like that is the you know type of household that uh, I lived in. And if it wasn't happening in school, when I got home, I'd learn about, you know, things that my, my parents worked on. Um, uh, and so 
I was, like I said, obsessed with the transfer of information. I knew that we were sitting on a powder keg as far as, um, you know, epidemiological threats uh, go. Mm. Like these things can constantly uh, happen. Uh, Everyone just assumes that everyone's got everything under control. Um, But Mm. as we saw over the last year, uh, sometimes leadership matters and um, who you're listening to truly matters. I think, you know, I couldn't have predicted one very uh, hard element, um, you know, 20 years ago, I never could have predicted that people who are wholly irresponsible would have the ability to speak to millions and millions and millions of people, like in a matter of seconds. That mm. seems like something that should have been prevented entirely. No one should have that amount of power. And it's only mm. getting worse. Um, so if I'll say anything controversial, there should be a limit to how many people can listen to any one individual, um, <laughs> you know, it's, you can have a maximum of 1000 followers. Yeah. And they're not That's allowed it. to share it, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like get rid of retweets, get rid of quote tweets, get rid of uh, amplifying anyone's message. Um, yeah. but it's, there's a reason for that. And there's a reason I couldn't have predicted it. It's because I so strongly feel, uh, that celebritization of individuals is a glitch in humanity. Mm. We shouldn't, we shouldn't be able to do that. Um, I hope that there's some kind of equalizer that helps that to go away. How would you relate that back to previous eras where there was a one-way funnel? Like, you know, the the talk, the premise of the empowered individual or the connected empowered consumer, that type of thing. I don't well, I don't like I don't like the word consumer, but if you look at previous eras where there was newspapers that were controlled by moguls and they had their political agendas that they were running, um, and they broadcast certain types of ideologies through media. Um, but how would you compare that to what we have now? Well, I'm happy to say that that's going away, um, yeah. but it doesn't change the fact that that's how the last 3000 years have been managed. Uh, mm. People have, uh, they only make decisions based you know, mostly on feelings, but a little bit of their logical mind will make a decision based on the information at hand. And if that's controlled by somebody else, that's horrible. And I wish that that didn't happen. Um, You know, there there are books that uh, you know govern individuals, um, and you know more so than even their own government. Uh, Mm. All these things are about information control, so that you can have a healthy workforce that does your bidding, uh, and that long outlasts the original authors. Um, So those things I don't think are great. I don't think that people should be born into someone else's idea of how the world should be, and then just live a life inside of a bubble of information and then mm. you know, die like that's, I, I re- that's just farming individuals to build nations and farming individuals to perpetuate organized religion and farming individuals to and a lot know. of those things that you just mentioned are storyline right there are particular storylines that fit a narrative of a certain people or people of a certain religion or people of a from a certain cultural background and how would you intersect that notion, right? For an example, the storyline of the American dream, right? You're born in the gutter, you work hard, you earn all the money in the world, no one helps you, you do it all on your own and you take all the money and stick it in your ears and go, right? Um, like that, that is a, a storyline that a lot of people buy into and you probably could say that a, a large number of people are very upset that that storyline is not necessarily playing out for them. Um, 
How would you relate to that? The, well, why don't you explore that that as a topic? But the other thing I want to look at is how storyline that people subscribe to relates to gamification or game design because those are that's also an interesting thing to look at. Um, anyway, storyline. Yeah. Go. So uh, the American Dream, um, mm. pretty cool uh, trick to play on people. <laughs> I'll just call yeah. it that, right? We had yeah. to build a nation um, and we we needed a workforce and we needed people to just focus on a long-term result. And yeah. so we produced the American Dream. I don't know who exactly produced it, um, mm. but we create this uh, vision of uh, a lifestyle, balance, uh, no worries and no concerns. If you, you know, leave if you're if you're a person who aspires to that, right? So America only wanted aspirational individuals, pretty great workforce to have, mm-hmm. um, and to come to uh, a nation that was ready to build. The good thing is we were ready to build, and yeah. uh, that's great. But it's not um, not a great consolation prize yeah. um, to just show up and become the workforce. And I have to say, it's you know I'm not American, but I have been a fan of many aspects of American culture, particularly the the can do attitude. And the support also that people give to each other when someone rises up and says, hey, I'm going to do this thing. I'm inspired to go and try and do something. Often the the premise you'll get from the colleagues and friends and family is like, you know, good job. Go on. We're going to help you do this. Go for it. Um, Whereas other cultures that are have, uh, you know, the term tall poppy syndrome, right, where the, the one poppy tries to grow higher than the others, and it's the the premise of the the other poppies want to cut it off, right? Like, who do you think you are? Do you think you're better than us? All this type of thing, right? Which a lot of cultures stereotypically have that as a premise. Anyway, I mean, I'm in. I'm inter- should I be talking to? Him? I should shouldn't talk, right? That's the a host. conversation, Rod. Is it? <laughs> yeah. Should I just? I should just have it like a list and just say, okay, next question, and then I should just be quiet, right? I'm just excited. Is that, to, is that how this works? I, I think it's great that we just have. Am a, I doing a, okay? A talk on the record. You're doing well. Uh, okay, thank it, you. It, it, <laughs> right now, I'm seeing competing storylines as to what it means to be um, an American patriot, for example. And some people are claiming, like, if you embody these beliefs, you are a patriot. And then other people say, no, if you do these types of things and believe these things, we're not like that. We're like this. That is, and and it's almost like a competition to see which storyline is is uh, going to prevail. Yeah, anyway, that just to me that just feels like um, sports. Um, yeah, it feels well, like joining something to be a part of excitement. And yeah. um, and well, isn't that game theory in some ways? Well, in, in a way, uh, yeah. you're being gamed though. If you're like, I need to have the correct ad- definition of patriot in my life. I don't like. Please just focus first, like locally on making your community better. Then you're a patriot. I, I yeah. honestly don't care if you have national or nationalist uh, uh, I- ideas. Uh, you're not going to change anything until you change a couple of people around you first. Mm-hmm. So uh, stop yelling into an echo chamber. That's not being a patriot. Uh, it actually never was. Um, uh, a patriot is somebody who... Uh, you know, we'll live and die for everyone else. It's not living and dying on your own belief and turns, living and mm. dying for what we've built, right? Some people that we've been talking to um, say that, that in some ways, polarization is a simplistic way of looking at the world and that it's far more complex than that. 
What yeah. do you think? Can uh, we get out of this? Uh, that, that's the thing. I, I think most rational individuals can look at something that only leads you to two choices and say, that's not the menu I expected when I showed up at this restaurant. Mm -hmm. um, uh, there's such an incredible amount of diversity of individuals and diversity of thought within those individuals that there is no red or blue in everyone's head and heart. Mm -hmm. It doesn't work, right? It's a simplification of something to push an agenda uh, that is, you know, in one direction for the country or another direction for the country. And as we've seen in the United States in particular, you can have somebody in office for a couple of years, somebody in office for the following number of years, somebody in office after that for a couple of years, and they just executive order, executive order, executive order, and just mm. undo what the past administration did. Yeah, um, yeah. That so, is just so wasting really... our time, right? That's not, <laughs> it's not progress. Yeah, um, yeah. And, Dysfunction. and it, you feel cheated by that side. If you're, you feel cheated by the other side. Like mm -hmm. if, if your candidate didn't win and the, um, the other candidate did win and changed the rule that something uh, that you favored before, now you, you further dislike the other side and all those individuals, which comprise half the country practically. So, uh, you know, this is like, a, it's almost like a, a trick that people get looped into and they can't climb their way out of. It feels like quicksand at times. Mm -hmm. uh, and I hope that, that people kind of wake up. Yeah. I, I, I sometimes think about the person that invented plastic, right? <laughs> do, do, do they, did they really, I don't think they ever would have foresaw what would have happened, how plastic is now in everything. Well, their job was to make... Filling the oceans, right? But yeah, their it, job was to make a durable product, not yeah. to think about the compounding effects of excess oil, right? They weren't no. thinking that. No, no, no. But they, they would have no idea. I don't know if they could have ever had the foresight to see the lasting effects that this material was going to have. John Plastic, was that his name? <laughs> it was Ben Plastic, but yeah. Ben Plastic, but these systems, right? These they're they're the platform holders in general. Multinational corporations inherently act in their own self interest. You can look at other industries that have slowly gone by the wayside. You know, have become obsolete. But it's usually only, in my mind, anyway, as I look at this, um, that there would be a, a solution. Like the automotive industry, for example, it took an outsider to come in and really push to make electric cars viable commercially. And only when that was proven were the, the big, the old companies going to take that seriously and start to radically transform themselves. You can look at the music industry. The, the record labels didn't know what to do about Napster, mm -hmm. right? Napster was there disrupting the space and they, you know, they're just doing lawsuits and and all this stuff, and it took again took an outsider to come in and uh, with a piece of hardware, the iPod, remember that thing, and uh, an iTunes, and to force them to the table, all the record labels to come up with a commercially viable system. And it was only at that moment that maybe, uh, and the pressure of everything else that was happening, and the the massive changes and the disruption of the music industry and new consumer habits around purchasing music and, and digesting music, that they would start to, to reinvent themselves. There, some of them almost had to, the industry had to be pressured almost to extinction before it was going to change. And yeah. so you look at this thing, if you look at that premise, then there may need to be some other thing that comes in. Everyone becomes telepathic, that's it. There's like a, a pill that you take, and then we all become telepathic, and then we don't need... Our uh, the our two dimensional screen devices to connect to each other. Our black mirrors, that, right? That that's it. Yeah, that's it.
maybe i don't know um but you know what's coming now is uh the ar xr vr glasses right mm-hmm. all the big tech companies are working on these now i saw an article today that said apple was working on their their glasses and their roadmap includes integration and contact lenses isn't that going to take things just further into this world where we become divorced from reality in our in our own then then reality itself becomes an echo chamber i want to live in a star wars universe and i want everyone to look like star wars and therefore i will make everything into star wars that's not true actually what i just said yeah i'm excited you're excited by star wars Uh, it's 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 like an anxious excitement um I don't want things to go wrong there. Mm. Um, but the the interesting thing about that is we're going to see a lot of testing. Uh, and the same like with self-driving cars, we've been seeing this testing happening on roads for over 10 years. Mm. Um, and it the testing happens because there are rules in place beforehand. That doesn't always happen. But um, you know, with self-driving cars, you weren't allowed to just test them on all the roads. Um, so mm-hmm. you had to apply to do that. You had to um, do it in certain areas. You had to maybe do it on a runway that you know you bought for a while and just have a car going and going and going. Um, then uh, I moved to the Bay Area in uh, 2011, end of 2010, um, and I saw my first self-driving car driving around. And I was like, I wow, saw that's one. incredible. I saw there, one today, actually. On, on and there was freeway. four people in the car, but it had like the, you know, huge mm. lidar thing on top of it or whatever that was then yeah. and um and i just thought like that's incredible i'm scared like i'm I'm right away i'm scared <laughs> even though i know that there's four people in that car probably all of them had a foot break too you know like just in case because the last thing any company that was working on that needed mm. was a pr disaster when they probably were so nascent that they didn't even have a pr team so yeah. um so I, you know i i worried for a little while, right? And the funny thing is that car was actually driving on the same freeway that passes the um, that first uh, big Tesla factory in Fremont. Mm. Um, and so, you know, on one side of my head was the gargantuan building that said Tesla in, you know, in letters that were like a hundred feet wide. And on the left side of me in the, in the carpool lane was four people in a car going boop, 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 with this mm. self-driving car. And I was like, I was, oh my gosh, I'm so scared. That's kind of how I feel about like AR and XR now. But the cool mm-hmm. thing is we all have a couple of consumer devices that can kind of do stuff like that right now. And everyone hates it. That's the best because the fear I felt looking at that car and you know, probably knowing what Tesla was going for anyway, I was literally sandwiched between two things that I was scared of. And this is 10 years mm-hmm. ago. Mm-hmm. So um you know, now, I, you know, I have an Oculus. I got it specifically to be able to test stuff out. I have a Google Glass. I, I haven't used it since like the, the month or so that I had gotten it. Um, you know, these are miserable experiences that aren't fun. They add nothing hey, to our lives. But VR, VR can be fun. But very much. Well, it's I, I don't like playing games. Like every VR game is exactly the same, except for that mm. one where you are a secret agent in a canoe. Everything exactly the same. You're dodging. Racing, racing, VR racing. It's good. VR racing, I love, but like I'm not, I'm not. uh, So I have to play things socially with people. Uh, Mm, I, you know, I fall asleep if I play any game by myself. So all of my games have to be in persistent worlds where I'm playing with people toward common goals. It, it, you know, tends to mirror my own interests. 
Um, but these things uh, aren't there yet. It's been you know five years or so, four years since we've had um, consumer grade high definition VR opportunities and, and things in the market with uh, uh, HTC Vive and the original Oculus and stuff like that. Or it's been about four years, a little more, I think. Um, and uh, nothing's great. I mean, VR racing is great. Uh, yeah, but that's that is probably <laughs> where I would draw the line. Everything else is yeah. dodge the orb, shoot at the orb. Dodge the robot, shoot at the robot. Everything <laughs> is shooting, right? And there's a couple of really good standout things where you. I like I like VR boxing. It's a good workout, but uh, well, okay, that is the same as we boxing with something on your face. It, okay, it's not fine. much different. And people <laughs> didn't go for that, right? When yeah. when people when Nintendo came out with all these motion controls, and people yeah. were like, "Oh, but I want to sit on the couch." Fine. Now people are getting <laughs> off the couch again because there's even more stuff attached to their body. It's not that's not going to last. That's not going to change things. Mm. Where where VR has an opportunity is uh, helping people with PTSD that have been in in uh, physical combat and wars. Mm. That's mm. where I want to see VR get some investment. I don't want to see any more games where you dodge the orb and shoot at the orb. I want to see something that actually helps someone's mind change back to who they used to be. That yeah. is what VR can do because it can immerse someone sometimes viscerally in experiences that matter. Games is not the killer app for VR and 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 AR. It's yeah. it's helping, right? So I'm I'm excited about things like accessibility. Um, there's a, a hopefully company. collaboration. I would say would be another one, uh, especially um, since yeah. we've gotten a glimpse into the future because of remote, uh, you know, work and what yeah. we're doing right here now because of COVID. So um, yeah, I, but I this is out. so basic, right? I, we're too flat. Rectangles this, emitting what pixel we're doing colors. Right, yeah. It's so basic. And this there's all this other technology for, that this could have been happening 25 years ago. It just yeah. would have looked a little bit grainier, but nothing that we're doing right now is new or great, right? It's just that the world woke up to these things in the last yeah. decade or so. And um, and so we're comfortable doing it. Uh we'll go back to you know doing things in person uh shortly, hopefully. Uh, but nothing's going to be exactly the same mm. as it was. This this past year hey. has given us a window into how things will be, not how things may change. It's how things will be in a couple of years. So, uh, you know, now it's it's kind of like, do you, you know, it's feedback time. Do you want more of this? Do you like this? What you what didn't you like about it? And all these companies are getting free feedback that helps them to iterate so crazy. How did Zoom 15 years later not figure out that people are going to just jump into other people's calls, you know? So sometimes you get what you pay for, um, you know, and Zoom having a free option, they're just trying to iterate as quickly as possible. But they look at the app now, it's robust, right? And, and it has- we like, we like Zoom. So we close out our, our radical strategy session by asking each guest what their radical strategy of the, the, the day is. What is your advice to, to people watching here? All right, well, Here's here's uh, my advice of, of the day or of, of the decade. If you don't want to be someone who settles on a particular haircut or, you know, style of jeans or something uh, or, or a particular era of music, um, people sometimes say, oh, that person has peaked, you know, uh, mm. uh, that version of Ed, we'll call him um, Rod. Uh, Rod, uh, you know, uh, sort of peaked in 2002. He wears the same clothes that he did in uh, 2002. Has the same haircut. Really hasn't done anything except gotten like a little chubbier and a little sloppy. I got a, a mustache. Right? Does that count? And more facial hair. 
the way to not peak is lifetime continuous learning. It mm. keeps your mind so incredibly sharp. It allows, like, you should always just surprise yourself. One thing that I like to do is every morning I wake up and before I even think I don't want to get up, I, as soon as my eyes are open, I try my best to just sit up and put my legs on the floor, my feet on the floor, right? Feel the, the temperature that's different. Uh, your whole body is almost exactly the same temperature when you wake up, like from head to toe, like you're just like mm. this warm mess. And you get out and put your feet on the cold floor, get up, go to your computer, sit down, don't do anything, Google some difficult math problems and just start learning something that you forgot, right? It'll keep you sharp. Everyone learned a lot of math in school that they just don't use. And this stuff helps to exercise the mind. Um, then, you know, if you find yourself browsing a Netflix queue for uh, five minutes or more and you don't settle on anything and you think it's going to be another half hour of browsing like every night that you, you know, every single night, this is what everyone's doing. Um, stop, have a list of things that you're interested in and just go and, and start researching them and read one Wikipedia article, uh, you know, a night. Mm, I bet mm. no one's doing it, right? So read one a night that you've never read before. Surprise yourself. If you want to learn how things work, learn how anything works mm. and then start to, you know, hone it into, into something particular, like a way of thinking or, or strategies and stuff like that. But, you know, continuous learning, if, if you don't keep your mind sharp, you're going to stop learning. You're going to stop caring. After you stop caring, you're just going to be trapped in like this time warp. And um, mm. I don't know if, if life is better when you do that, but I don't want to do that. And on that note, we should end our discussion. So thank you very much, Ed. Thank you. Amazing. And uh, yeah, we'll talk to you soon.